Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley. Andrew is on assignment this week. We've embedded him with a home builder deep in the heart of America uh, to spend some time going to sales meetings, doing all that that fun stuff that, you know, people who work at home builders get to do. So he's not able to join us. But with me today is Do You Convert's own digital designer extraordinaire, Jackie, and our ad doctor in residence, Becca. Hi. Hi, everyone. Yes. Welcome to episode number 38, recorded live on November 9th. So... I guess I will start. Um, I know the holidays are quickly approaching and holiday promotions are kicking into high gear. So I was recently working with a builder partner and I have to share this story because <laughs> it kind of rang my little designer bell alarm bells. And I thought I'd kind of give some tips or tricks or however you want to think of it as. But so I, was, uh, I saw a holiday promotion being rolled out to the public. And I was surprised to see that there wasn't a cohesive flow with the overall aspects of the promotion itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's including just kind of a design perspective, but also the verbiage itself. So there was no brand consistency and the promotion titles didn't really line up on each of the campaign mediums. So the offering, like what they were offering and the promotion itself was slightly skewed and confusing to me. And if I'm thinking I'm confused, I can only right. imagine what, what a pr- like a prospect or realtor kind of from their perspective. So the holidays are, of course, the busiest time for most. Prospects and realtors are receiving a ton of promotional emails in the next yep. two months. Lots of clutter. Yes. So if anything, these next, you know, six, eight weeks are important with having consistency in your brand and promotions and standing out to create a lasting impression. So I, I for the people in the back, most importantly, <laughs> having your choice of the promotion title kind of being front and center and being the same word. Kind of, you know, you wouldn't think that's hard to know, but that is. That's something kind of Well, yeah, because not not all marketers are designers or are, you know, especially these kind of things tend to, because you said everyone's busy. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. and maybe we maybe they only get three days notice or three hours notice of, hey, uh, Mm -hmm. boss says get this out there this afternoon. Right. (laughs) Oh, so true. And that's why kind of having everything and and that's one thing not being afraid to have it all look the same. I, I think that's a can be a misconception. You want things to be different, but then you also don't want it to look like three different campaigns going on at the same time. And even maybe the holiday promotions, a lot of times they're used as remarketing to existing audiences or emails to mm-hmm. people who already know who you are. So yeah. it's not like you necessarily have to toss everything up in the air and, and do it completely different because yeah. they, they know who you are already. And the promotion itself and maybe a couple imagery choices versus different fonts or different colors mm-hmm. altogether, right? I agree completely. So just more or less walking away with knowing that your emails, anything digitally or the banner on your website, kind of all being one entity, kind of all working together and not against each other. My story is incredibly boring this week. <laughs> in, in a good way, though, I was talking to someone that I've been uh, coaching for the past year. Not They're not new to the industry, but new to a full marketing position with a with home builder. And we were talking 
talking about all the progress that they've made and um, being able to get that street credibility with the team and the great results they've had. And one of the things that she brought up was that she was really digging into invoices and making sure they were coded to the right place and that everything that was in her budget was things that she actually had approved. And there was a vendor who was submitting things straight to accounting and she was not aware of it and (laughs) was struggling with making sure that the work was done properly before they got paid. And it just hit me that I don't think it would matter if we had had that conversation on day one. It's one of those things that if I told someone brand new, hey, you really should code your own invoices or at least look at them and approve them all versus them just being sent straight to accounting. Everyone would say, well, that sounds like really boring, stupid, extra work. (laughs) Why do I need to do that? Right. I don't. A lot of people would say I don't balance my own checkbook. Why do I need to balance my own budget Mm -hmm. as a marketer? But it was really interesting to hear her say how important and how much ownership she takes in that now. And the frustration of finding a lot of things, you know, when someone codes something to marketing and it just says gift cards for Lucy and, you know, Lucy is a sales rep. Like, well, what, what is that for? And <laughs> it's, that? it's yeah. I'm, I am essentially paying for this is going in my budget and I don't know what this is for and I didn't approve it. And so I don't think everyone has to code all their own invoices from beginning to end for all time. A lot of times after you get things balanced and the way they should be running, you can have uh, a different office admin or someone who's opening up the mail kind of pre-code things where they think they should go for you to save you time. But just the importance of getting eyes on the actual invoices and approving things, even if it is a little bit of extra work, at, at least when they're when you're getting started or trying to um, bring some more order to the role. Super important. It was a good reminder uh, and it was interesting to hear her excitement at the coding and defending mm-hmm. of her budget too. I just thought that was that was an awesome story. I love that. I do. I was going to say maybe that can be some new year goals for some out there because I can imagine at the year end trying to go back through when you're closing books and kind of more or less seeing how many things that you're now like, what is this? Or you know, where does this go? Well, Kevin, I don't, I don't know if you remember in the past, I feel like that was a continuous problem of like that cat and mouse game of people were constantly being sent over, bounced around trying to figure out what an invoice was. Yes. Yes. You know where you're spending your money. Mm-hmm. It's better to, it's easier to plan for how you're going to spend it next. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And just making sure you're the actual, actually the one spending it. Um, yes. Yeah. From my time with NVR and, and interacting <laughs> with Paul Seville, the CEO, my, perhaps my favorite Paul Seville quote of all times is, don't let people shove crap in your PL. You know, when you're, when you're running yeah. a division <laughs> or a region, everyone's trying to push their little expenses as much off their own plate as possible. And so you yep. do have to be careful of a sales organization or land department or who, who knows uh, who else. But that, Absolutely. I think it's a good thought, Jackie, that at the end of the year, a lot of people are finalizing budgets for 2019. Mm-hmm. And it is also interesting to hear people who are saying sentences to me over the past month, like, wow, I can't believe we were $230,000 under budget. And yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. you, you didn't know that until just now? Or, you know, maybe that other campaign that we were struggling with, it would have been. So right. there's that There's that of finding that you have all this extra money left over and kind of being caught off guard by that if you're not watching it closely. And the reverse is also true where, you know, that comes down from on high that you need to cut your budget by 15% because you were way over and you're thinking, wait a minute, where, how, how, you know, I've kind of 
kept my budgets in the digital sense consistent. So where is this variance coming from? You just don't want to be caught off guard by that stuff. Right. I agree. And Becca, you uh, last or two weeks ago, you were prepping for your design studio visit that you thought would take, I think, about two and a half to three hours. You had to drive an hour to get there. Yes. Yeah. So and they told us that was three hours um, to go, you know, spend time picking out things. Then before you closer. before you continue, I have to ask: yeah. Do you know? Does your builder listen or know who we are or this show? It, what the I show is? I don't know if they know who we are. Awesome. Um, okay. Yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> tell them because sure. I want to keep in this as honest as possible. All right, continue. <laughs> so we got there. We were all excited, ready to go, and then we started picking out things. We we're trying to be pretty cost conscious, but also trying to pick out the things that we really wanted. So we're there, we're picking out our things. We've got everything set. We decided we wanted to go with base flooring. And so we're sitting there. We've just finished with the other person. We're kind of talking and I look at my husband and he kind of looks like somebody kicked his puppy. (laughs) And I was like, what's up? He goes, nothing. Said, are you not super happy with the flooring choice? Because we stuck with the base flooring. Uh And he said, yeah, I kind of don't like how it's the EVP, but it's real entry level. Like there's no rubber in the bottom. So it's Mm kind of hard. And so I said, well, I mean, do you want to go look at other flooring? And he goes, yeah, kind of (laughs) do. Yeah. So how much time did you spend there in total? Oh, I think it was like five and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. I brought a snack. I knew we needed, we were going to need snacks. With having my experience at Design Studio, I think that's one of the biggest things that you don't go in knowing how long of a process it is. And I'm glad you had a snack because we did not. We just had like a can of Coke and just sugar. (laughs) We're riding on sugar to like (laughs) get through. So I I feel I feel you, girl. I feel for you. (laughs) When you say when you when you say five hours long and. Um, you didn't have a snack. Oh, that oh. takes me back to like SAT testing Saturday morning. Yes. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, Yeah. I've yeah. run design studio spaces before. And I think having preview weekends, which would have been hard for you to go to, you know, some type mm-hmm. of preview time because you're an hour away. But at, at least, Jackie, I don't know if you remember these um, PDF documents that we had made. Yes. Or not. But we, prior to being acquired, when all of our selections changed and the process changed, we spent the time making Mm -hmm. these like 15 to 20 page PDF booklets for each category of lighting and faucets. And obviously the coloring was not necessarily 100% accurate. And for flooring, it wasn't as useful as with faucets or lighting. But at least you had some sense going in of these are the three I'm really most interested in or setting your expectations of they don't have a green Mm. cabinet. They just Mm -hmm. don't get excited for a green cabinet because it's not going to be there. Yes. Or just knowing the level, level of something. So, you know, personally, Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit more drawn to white cabinet. So knowing that was, uh, you know, a two or three level jump, depending on and knowing going in kind of a little bit more that you'd be spending a certain amount um, Becca, did you get that before going? Uh, kind oh, of no, there was no prep. Nobody gave oh. us anything. I think, honestly, uh. if Kevin had not asked, is, is there any homework that you have to do? I would not have known any better. And just because I've, I made those books that you ha- you know, that mm-hmm. you were talking about, yeah. I felt really confident about being able to make a decision in three. 
three hours. Yeah. But I didn't know if my husband would be okay with that. There's, it's okay. There's always one week link. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was personally going to say with, I know me, I was on Pinterest. I had Pinterest boards. I had, I was the one kind of going into my selections appointment with paint samples of kind of, you know, I was that, I was that person going in. So I could understand how overwhelming it could be for someone that may not have some of that prep, that those resources ahead of time to, to know really what selections there were. I could see also yeah. why it was five hours, you know, if, if you're going in not being prepped beforehand. Yeah. But there's also the, tr- I mean, I, I think it's good that you use Pinterest and to, to do that prep on your own, Jackie. But at the same yeah. time, if you could also set your expectations to be mm-hmm. way off, if you ended up going oh, in there so and nothing that you had pinned and really convinced yourself over hours online mm-hmm. that you loved, and then they didn't quite offer that, you know, absolutely, it yeah. could set you up too for, uh, so in the absence of that pre-work and the, yep. the homework assignment stuff, you know, who knows how that's going to end up if they just do it on their own or come in with a, with a wrong set of expectations. That's yeah, why you need Jane, Mar and, and company to help you out with, um, these different processes to really make the process smoother. I agree. I advise yeah. against Pinterest boards and paint things, all that, because personally, Kevin, you're absolutely right. I went in and then once they put together like my dream scenario, it was mm-hmm. like $200,000 worth of upgrades later. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it was like, okay, come back down to reality and mm-hmm. kind of your give and take. Becca, you said it perfectly, kind of finding that the good compromises there. I know you yeah. mentioned, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you're happy with your choices and kind of knowing things that you could do on your own too. Yeah. I think also, we kind of went in with the mindset of, all right, we don't know exactly what they're going to have, but that's what we get to pick from. So yeah, let's not look around. I mean, I kind of had an idea of what I thought would we would like. Mm-hmm. And if they had stuff that worked that was similar without upgrading to a million levels. It's awesome. All right, let's shift on over to the news. We're going to be a shorter news segment just because we've got such an amazing interview coming up with Zillow on all the data that they pulled out of their consumer trend report this year. But start off with a, as Andrew would say, a fun one here, digitaltrends.com replaced by robots, 10 jobs that could be hit hard by the AI revolution. Mm. I, I love the um, wit and humor. I mean, the, the opening paragraph of each one is like why this position is screwed. And there's, you know, we love AI, we love technology. It was interesting, though, the first one on the list was not what I was expecting, which was lawyers. I agree. Um, Yeah. And then I asked a friend of mine who is a lawyer, and before I even finished the sentence, he was like, they said lawyers, didn't they? I was like, yeah. Why do you say? He goes, because my job is actually most of the time really boring and repetitive. And, you know, I'm just reviewing the same types of contracts over and over again. I'm interviewing people for preparation for legal discovery. And and that's exactly what the article said. So that made me lend even more credence. I already liked the article, but I Mm -hmm. I thought it was uh, really interesting. Any of these that surprise you before I jump to the one that I think everyone's going to be most interested in hearing about? Any of these that surprised you besides lawyers? (laughs) 
I was actually very surprised about artists. Yes. The musicians and artists. It's funny you say yeah. that. I was, I was kind of, it was very interesting on that one. I mean, personally, chefs kind of, that was interesting. I know that can kind of go hand in hand with the medical field as well. But there's some of these that are on the list that make you realize that if it goes in that direction and losing that kind of that one-on-one, like personally me, if I had a legal matter and I went into an office and there was mm-hmm. a robot sitting there, <laughs> I, a part of me would feel slightly concerned. Like, was that well, it, if it was an important legal matter, right. if it was, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm going out of town and I just need a quick document so that my parents can get medical exactly. rights for my child while they're watching mm-hmm. her, then, yeah. then maybe not. But if you're suing someone or right. getting sued, then maybe. And I think that's at the end of the day, the, the, to me, the main moral here is if you're just above mediocre or mm-hmm. you suck at your job, you are screwed. Yes. If you're exceptional, then nothing to worry about because right. it's going to take a lot longer for AI to catch up. But let's hop to the two that I think this audience would be most yeah. interested in. The first one, telemarketers and customer service assistants. Mm-hmm. And they don't, doesn't say OSC uh, here. <laughs> in the in the article but but that's what they are talking about you know they say chatbots are getting smarter yeah. um, miserable conversion rates for direct telephone sales and that's the cold calling cold calling people right a robot would certainly be mm-hmm. a better cold caller just because it's a pure numbers game of how many times you're getting hung up on yeah yeah but you know that's just where a ton of investment and energy is going is kind of that again not the full osc experience but that initial screening of the very basic questions before you're ready to talk to a human uh, that was on the list. And then the other one, which I think a lot of people are really excited about, mm-hmm. construction workers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. it's, Very it's not because we don't like them at all. It's because they're really expensive and hard to find uh, for a lot of yeah. these tasks. And so that's, again, we this is an example of we just we need this to happen fast if we're going to solve the affordable housing issues mm-hmm. that we have right now. It's so true. And, and that is one thing, working with a home builder, seeing the turnover rate in the construction field and, and kind of losing that the liability there and, and knowing it's kind of more of a niche field. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, nowadays, I mean, personally, it's a lot of that kind of goes back with the manual labor. Tend, it does tend to be really hard to find. So it is interesting yeah. to see that, you know, kind of robots, if they were or, you know, AI kind of being involved with that, the bricklaying on sites or working in warehouses. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Columbus is a good housing market, but it's no metropolis like a, a lot of other places. And when I was trying to get a hold of an electrician to do a real basic change for me here, mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, we could be there in about two and a half, three weeks. And I was mm. like, what? Oh my. I called another electrician, <laughs> same story. Yeah. Found another one who was charging two and a half times the amount, but could come you know, oh. tomorrow. Yep. And it's like, you're hired. I mean, it's it's not yep. when wife's not happy, no one's happy. So get out here right. and do the work. <laughs> but <laughs> It was, it was, it was ridiculous. So, oh, so bring on, bring on the robots, Absolutely. I say. That's All right, true. let's hop over to the, to the, to the last one here. Yeah. Uh, also from digitaltrends.com. Jackie found this one, which the headline is Facebook opens pop-up stores at Macy's, but they're not selling the portal, which by the way, I, I am supposed to get my portal this weekend. So 
Oh, I'll be able to exciting. give a quick review on it. Um, oh, so far it's being talked down by everyone who's tried it, but we'll we'll see. So what what is this article yes. about, Jackie? What's happening? So here? Facebook is bursting out of the ones and zeros into the physical realm, and they are going to have nine pop up shops. Which I personally, this is a really cool concept coming into the holiday season. So they're going to more or less showcase goods or products from a hundred small businesses, online brands that may not have something for you to see physically and that have kind of been successful online. And so they will have more or less samples for people to come and be able to, to kind of feel the, the product in it in your hands. Um, some of the some people may know some of the brands Love Your Melon, which is the hat, the hat that help okay. uh, donations to pediatric cancer. Um, I'm guessing those all bird shoes have to be here, too, because I get mm -hmm. those ads constantly. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'll be I'll be curious. I I don't want your dang shoes. Go away. I've hit that <laughs> like stop advertising to me button so many times, I feel like. Yes. I feel like this maybe isn't as much for Facebook though as a way for Facebook to prove value to its major mm -hmm. advertisers. Like I, yeah. it's saying they're gonna yeah. feature a hundred products from the most loved small businesses and digital native brands. Yeah. I'm guessing those hundred people are also probably the ones spending the most money. So true. Uh, with them. Very and true. so they're like, hey, you're already having good success. Just keep that money rolling and we're also going to help you out yeah. on our end by creating this ability for people to interact with your products physically and get to kind of test them out see right. and touch them i'm thinking that it also helps them with their branding image and their reputation management mm -hmm. we've had a lot of issues this year yeah. and it seems like a lot of the pop-up stores are all either partnering with not-for-profit or mm -hmm. have a really good mm -hmm. goal to help people. So I'm thinking maybe that helps Facebook as well. Some of that PR. And and they're not, Facebook's not the only one to try to incorporate offline traditional retail with the online. Amazon mm -hmm. has opened up several bookstores around yeah. the country that also let you see some of their smart products. So yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. It's also interesting that Facebook is uh, intentionally not selling their own hardware devices mm -hmm. like the portal here. So it's it's only these these partners. All right, that'll do it for the news. We'll be right back with Kristen Duffy from Zillow. And we're going to dive into all the amazing stats and figures from this year's new construction research project that they did. We'll be right back. Sneak attack, sneak attack. You must be keeping secret weapons in your fanny pack. You're like my laughing gas, you got the can to dance. You're like Lance on the mountain in the Tour de France. You got a wingspan spanning the globe. You got gold and you're teaching us all to let go. You're a wise old when you're the cat's meow. If this were 12th grade, you would be my Welcome back to this week's 360 topic, Zillow dishes on why people do and don't buy. We brought in the big guns. Kristen Duffy, Senior Marketing Manager at Zillow, is here with us. Thank you for joining us, Kristen. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. And you're in sunny Seattle, right? Eh, it's a little gray, but sunny is what we always <laughs> hope for. Yeah, I see plenty of pictures from the heights of Zillow Tower when the clouds are not there. So I know it happens. Uh, it, it does happen. We try to keep that a secret. We don't everybody. We don't want everybody <laughs> moving out here. Yeah, you have enough of challenge with that already. Oh, yeah. So Kristen's here to talk with us about the new construction consumer housing trends report. The first report that you guys have done specifically for home builders, right? Yes. Yes. This is the first year where we've had a dedicated report to new construction. So very exciting. 
Because you have put out reports before, just not specifically for home builders and developers. Correct. So the company has an annual report that we run uh, where we survey more than 13,000 people. So every everyone from buyers, sellers, renters, homeowners, to learn about the home shopping process, as well as consumer trends. And what we found is that it's really tough to get into the deep nitty gritty of new construction. So this is the first year where on top of that report, we did some supplemental research. And I'm so excited about what we were able to put together for builders. I think it's getting to the point of answering some of those questions that they've had. Yeah. So you talked about it is difficult to try to get to new construction buyers. Um, So talk to us about, you know, what are you trying? Why go through all the effort if it's so hard? What are you trying to do with this with this data? Of course, it's really about arming new construction marketers with information and insights that's going to improve their marketing. We want to help builders know who they're marketing to and also who they have the opportunity to really shift to potentially consider new construction. Ideally, all buyers should be considering new, but that's not necessarily what they're all doing. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And by the way, for those of you who heard the 13,000 number, um, and think that maybe that's not enough. And I'm not a I'm not a data <laughs> statistician by any means, but I can tell you we did a research project when I was with my home building company in Pittsburgh, and they talked to roughly 300 people in this in the metro area of Pittsburgh, and that was enough to get statistically significant information from that survey. So you do not need to interview or talk to millions of people, right? It's just just to clarify for everyone who thinks that maybe we're just kind of pulling from a slice. 13,000 is a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And so that's the company's report. And we get a ton of information from that. But that really is the report that helps us identify who the new construction buyer is. Where we wanted to dig in further Mm -hmm. is questions that we were receiving from builders from our report last year. It was, okay, you've outlined out who the buyer is, but what about those people that are considering new construction and don't ultimately purchase? What happened along the way? What can we do differently? So that's what we really dug into this year to help answer some of those questions. Yeah, it's awesome. It really is a full full journey from how long they're taking, where they're coming from, what are the do's, what are the don'ts, what are their expectations, what are their uh, letdowns in the process. We'll we'll get to a lot of this stuff. Um, Before we get too far though, and it's in the show notes, if you go to now, now.doconvert.com slash Zillow, it will send you straight to Zillow's page uh, on their website where you can download your own copy of this report. So feel free to hit pause Go to now.doyouconvert.com slash Zillow, get the PDF straight from them, and then come back and it'll be an even better listening experience for you. Um, So how did you go about conducting the research? We don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but just again, for those who may be skeptical, you know, just high level, how do you conduct the research? What kind of people did you you talk to? How do you identify these folks? Sure. So... The company was doing their annual report, which is that survey of 13,000. And then for the new construction side specifically, we surveyed an additional 1,000 consumers that had purchased a home in the last 12 months. And then we did qualitative research with 27 consumers who we identified as strongly considered new construction. So for us, 
to be a considerer, that was someone who took an intent. They took a next step to learn more about new construction. So that could have been mm-hmm. um, submitting a lead on Zillow. That could be actually visiting a builder sales center, taking a tour, et cetera. So they had an activity um, that alerted yep. us that they actually took a step to move forward. And then we also did a customer satisfaction survey on Zillow of more than 500 home shoppers that were searching online to see how successfully they were at connecting with a builder. So a ton. That's that's a hard challenge. Yeah, it could as, be. As your data shows and, and as we've seen in our own studies too. That's awesome. So what about someone who says, well, Kristen seems like a very nice uh, gal, but I don't currently advertise on Zillow or use Zillow to promote my company. Uh, insert sad face here. <laughs> sad right? panda. But, can they can they attribute this data to other forms of marketing? Absolutely. Um, so this is something that is for us turning on the lights about home shopping and is available to anyone. Um, and I think it's also it's just informing you about how people are searching for homes and the ways that buyers want to be marketed to. So that could certainly be a way. It doesn't have to be uh, specific. To Zillow, it's meant to be insights and tools to help inform across their marketing that they're doing in the coming year. Yeah, I would I would definitely tell that person who is wondering how they can use this stuff. Even if you don't, I mean, for sure you should apply it to what you're doing on Zillow. You should apply it to your own website. You should apply it to everything that you're doing. All the lessons learned here. But a lot of times, step one is just having a tool that you can go to your the person you report to, the division president, the VP of sales and marketing, the owner, and say, look, all this stuff that I've been telling you anecdotally, here's some hard facts and information. And it's really is as important as I'm making it sound. Because a lot of times marketers, we feel, or or to others, we feel like that that mosquito in your ear, like constantly buzzing. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, 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 just go sell the houses, you know, just go do it. And I think that's an initial step that that you could easily overlook is just get a copy of this thing and leave it with your owner and highlight a couple areas and and add your own notations of hey I agree and we're struggling with the same thing we could do better or come come with some ideas I think I think that's a great way to use it too so before we dive into the really fun yes. stuff Kristen um, in terms of the actual compelling stats and, and information what else can we expect to come anything in uh, preview of coming attractions in terms of this kind of research or resources that you guys are working on? I would say this is just only the beginning. And for those that maybe don't know a ton about the broader Zillow team, we have a team across our company that is focused on economic research, consumer research. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. And it's something that we continue to publish um, in our marketing resources, like the New Construction Resource Center. We're also hosting webinars. So tip of the iceberg there's more more where this is coming from. And I, I also just encourage builders to share feedback with us. It helps inform the research that we're going to do in the future. Yeah, let them know the questions that you want to know the answers to. And I remember when we closed down the online summit, uh, I pulled up all of the different guest speakers and, and everyone at the front, and I gave everyone opportunity to, to talk about uh, a key point or for people to ask some questions. And when it came to, um, I, I think Jake was up front or... I forget who it was, but I believe it was Jake was up front and uh, no one had a question, which was fine. And so I made up uh, one for the crowd, which was true or false. 
Uh, Zillow has the most complete and exhaustive amount of data on home shoppers of anyone in the country. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, we talked so much about how important data was. And obviously you guys are, are publishing these reports, but that is, it's not your secret sauce. It's a well-known sauce, but that is, you know, what makes Zillow beyond the great interface and products and those other things. It, it really is the data and how you guys have used it strategically. That's such a, an amazing asset. So thanks for, thanks for putting this together. Yeah, we're passionate about it. We want people to understand who they're marketing to. If you don't know who your buyer is or your prospective buyer, how can you possibly decide on where to put your marketing budget? Well said. All right, let's let's get into the fun stuff. I'll let you start and then I'll have some questions for you. What do you think were some of the most compelling stats or, or findings that you found in the survey sure. this year? Um, I think just to start is that um, among several home, t- home types that buyers are considering, 38% are considering new construction. So that's more than a third, yet mm-hmm. only 11% across the nation are purchasing new. So there's something missing in the process that is deterring them from ultimately purchasing. So that was a key part of what we wanted to learn more about. Um, and really, and I, I think that one third roughly, right? What was the percentage again? 38%. Yeah. So just over a third. And I think um, that's, that is a surprising number. It's I've, I've kind of always said without having the hard facts, roughly two out of 10 seriously consider new construction. And I have a sense that that's probably because they can't find what they're looking for in existing or they have some exposure to it. I don't know that people start there just because they assume it's so hard or difficult or challenging. And and you guys talk about the timing, but but a third, that's where already, and, and Zillow is not paying me anything to say any of this, uh, that's how many people get exposed to a billboard driving by a hundred percent of the population, but you're saying only 38% of the people who are looking to move, which is a subset of the population are considering new construction. And that just, when I hear that or see that, I just can't help but say amen. And that's why we want to make sure we're targeted in the channels that we're using. Exactly. And there are factors that are a lot of times out of marketers control that are keeping people from considering new construction. So that's stuff like location, timing, Mm -hmm. price, but that doesn't mean that there's not a way to influence this 38% to actually move forward and purchase. Yeah. That was actually, I'll skip to one of mine, which was when it, when you're talking about price, what that really means to the consumer is overall perceived value and that a marketer could still influence. I mean, that, fair, very fair point. No one is getting a pass. None of the marketers listening are going to get a pass from their owners by, by saying, you know what? You're right. You can't change the product and price. So you're right. We have to acknowledge that we can't impact it directly. We can't say we should change the price and necessarily get that to happen, but you can look at, you know, some of the insights you've given in terms of messaging and we'll just, I guess we'll start floating around faster. Somewhere in here, you talk about, um, the fact that the home is new is the number one uh, criteria. 49% of the reason for purchasing new construction, 49% of those surveyed in their top three listed everything in the home as new or never used. And I think that's something that a home builder takes for granted because we think of, well, of course, we're new. We're a new home builder and our competitors are all building new. But when you think about people who are still considering existing homes and considering new at the same time, we still have to say it. We still have to show it. We still have to talk about it to remind them about that fact because it's an obvious over the head thing when they first interact with us, but it's a it's a reason that they may forget if we don't create content to help remind them about it. Exactly. And that's all about flaunting your product. 
for a marketer. Oh, I like it. Um, I like so it. that flaunt it. With yeah, you got it. yeah, that's talk about those home <laughs> features. Make sure that you have photos and tools so that this potential buyer can really immerse themselves in what it would be like to live in that home. Yep. So I think two sides of that, you know, thirty-eight percent number is one. That's a that's a pretty big percentage of the overall people who are looking to purchase. And two, it's still a fairly small percentage, though, of the overall population. Right. So how do we influence those folks that aren't even considering new construction? So we, as part of this research, we did a qualitative study and we asked consumers to send us a Dear Builder video. Oh, wow. So this this was a message to a builder that they interacted with. <laughs> potentially that they purchased from, what would they say? What would they say about the process? What tips would they give? What was positive? What was maybe a miss for them? And it was actually some of my favorite parts of this research to watch. These were all raw iPhone videos. Can we find a way to somehow turn that into one of those videos where you take what people are saying and make a song out of it with auto-tune? I think that would be amazing. I would love to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how. I'm sure there's legal challenges, but that has to happen if it's at all possible. Yeah, let me Uh, ponder that. I I cannot (laughs) commit just yet, but let me ponder. Oh, of course not. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me most was uh, one of the videos. And this woman was talking about that while she knew new construction was the best value because everything's new in the home, there was this perceived value of an existing home that it had stood the test of time. It had this proven value to her. Mm. And what she, she suggested in her in her video was that builders not be afraid to take up a, a prospective buyer and drive them around to a community that they built eight to 10 years ago. Show these customers yeah. what you've built and the longevity of your work. I just thought that was so powerful. And it wasn't this big aha data point, but it was something that I don't know a lot of builders have thought about. That's so crazy. I'm so old now, Kristen, that it it's scary to me how many times when I'm having a conversation with someone that that they pull something out of my history that I have completely forgotten about. When my very first builder that I started with here in central Ohio, Miranda Homes, perceived value on the quality level was low. And so that definitely was a concern of, okay, this house looks good now, but if you guys maybe use lower quality materials or or no-name brands, how's my house going to perform and what's the value going to be? And we created, um, the division presidents and I created an Excel spreadsheet of hundreds of homes showing the resale value over five to seven years. And it was, you know, home after home appreciating 50 to $100,000 in such a short period of time. And that was, an, that was a great tool that I had completely forgotten we'd ever done. You're right. Uh, I just think it's something for builders to reconsider. How do you weave that in to your sales Mm -hmm. center process? How do you weave that in to a tour that you're giving a potential buyer? And by the way, if the information is bad, you still should know it and be prepared to talk about it. I think that would make so many of these consumers that were strong considerers more comfortable in purchasing a new construction home and more comfortable in the relationship that they've built with their builder. I can't believe how obsessed I am with this one point, but I have talked to so many people who have started looking for a house who are not in our industry and 
a fairly common misconception is that they are drawn towards an existing home because they feel like it will appreciate more over time. Right. <laughs> and that's where I'm like, wait, no, no. How is that it's possible? It's actually probably, <laughs> it's probably peaked out. It will still appreciate, but the rate of appreciation will likely be slower than in that initial five to seven year period of time in a new home, unless you get a massive, you know, great, great recession type event. Uh, it's going to, it's going to appreciate extremely fast. Exactly. And I think that's something that builders should feel comfortable marketing and talking to mm-hmm. their customers. You can't promise it. You can't, you can't promise, promise it, it, but you can definitely talk about it. And you can visually show them what a community that you built previously looks like. I think it's hard sometimes for a customer when they're showing up to a community that's going to be worked on over the next five to 10 years to think about the neighborhood that they're buying. It's more than just the home. So that really stood out to me. Um, and I thought it was so simple yet powerful. Yep. And you know, you just said the the neighborhood and community words, which our second joke at Do You Convert after we look at a home builder who has no photos of their actual homes on their website <laughs> is that when you go and click on the community page, all the pictures on that are of the model home and none of them are of the community typically. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, just visualizing that at any level from a community standpoint is extremely hard. Okay. So that was uh, an awesome look at the first thing that really jumped out at you. Any other compelling stats on your end? Another one that I I find interesting um, is that more than half of new construction buyers move from a different city, state, or country. Yeah. So what that means is that online is critical. They're not necessarily able to drive past the community so easily. They're doing all of this research online because they're moving from further away. And when you say digital, Kristen, you mean digital billboards, because those you could, you know, run anywhere (laughs) in the country, right? Is that what you meant? I'm thinking builder website, Uh uh, your online presence with listings, everything that is available to a customer for them to immerse themselves in your home before seeing it. Yeah, that that was a a huge shock to me. Now, obviously, that means that 47% are not moving from a different city, state, or country. Sure. But still, still a lot. I think to me, and this is not a data point that Zillow has proven, but it's a sense that I have talking to a lot of people who, who have relocation buyers and talking to relocation buyers myself. If you've ever moved from one part of the country to another and you look at the used home inventory, you're right, right. If you move from the from the Midwest to the Southeast, Homes are already very different, right? They feel different. They smell different. The layouts are different. Um, Some have basements, some don't. There's just so many uniqueness to how homes are constructed and designed by region. And I have a sense that people who relocate from far away are likely to be drawn even more so to new construction because, and this is kind of weird to say, there's like a standard of of how new homes are built today. Not to say there aren't different styles still and construction methods will change. But a modern, you know, well-built kitchen in Ohio is not that dissimilar anymore from a new, modern, well-built kitchen in California. Maybe in size and some finishing differences, but it'll feel much, much more cohesive to someone moving states than a house built in the 40s, where everything is just like, where do these arches come from? Why is there wood paneling? Why, you know, I just think it may help relocation buyers feel more comfortable if they're not looking for that local flavor. Exactly. Just and it theory. just goes back to the number one resource continues to be online. And that shouldn't be a, a 
data point that anybody is surprised by, but it's one for us to continue to remember. And it stands out to me when I see other supporting stats. So when I think about what you said earlier about someone being able to arm their boss with reasons why they're investing in specific marketing, this is a stat. This is one where you can say, well, you know, more than half of who could potentially buy our homes are online. That's why I'm spending my time, energy, and budget on digital marketing. Yeah. And that's where um, paid search in particular is so much. I mean, it, it is hard. It can be very hard to use social uh, for, unless you're using something like a, a builder boost or a retargeting effort sure. uh, or, or AI to go across multiple states and try to use sure. social as a tool. Paid search is, you know, they have to type in that area. Um, but that brings me to one of my pieces, which was your beautiful little, I don't even know the word for this, uh, circular spiral graph of the resources used. Um, by new construction yep, buyers. I'm looking at that right now too. And so 76% online, 65% real estate agent or broker, uh, 60% yep. went into a sales center uh, or viewed a home builders uh, community. Open house signs. This is one that I wanted to talk about. 49% for sale or open house sign. Now, again, the data is the data and they can only yep. talk about the data. I get to hypothesize, which is way more fun. Sure. But when I find myself seeing a sign of a home for sale, Definitely happens. I do see signs, right? I'm still looking out of my window here and there when I'm not looking at my phone while driving. That's a terrible joke. Don't do that. But I do see signs. But what happens is I do not any longer. And my wife, who did this longer than I did, she no longer says, stop, stop the car, pull in the driveway, grab a brochure, right? What, what do we do? We pull out Zillow and we hit the little arrow to zoom in right where we are. And we look for that house. So I, I think while statistically this is showing that different methods are used, I go back to direct mail. You get a direct mail piece of a home that you love. One, that's like hitting a home run because you'd have to send just the right house to just the right person. It can happen. But where then are you going to go to look at that house? Some people might go to the broker's website, but that's not where I'm going first. So I think a lot of these pieces, even though they're part of the journey, at the end of the day, they're still driving people back most of the time to using an online resource for further discovery. Exactly. Buyers start online. A lot of them go back and continue their research. It is so important that your online presence is strong. Um, the, the two on here, particularly for new construction that stand out, um, home builder sales center. So mm -hmm. 60% are going and they're seeing that as a resource. So that sales center experience is pivotal in their search process. Yep. So making sure that that's a really good experience for them. And that was some of the data that we had that was a part of that Zillow.com customer satisfaction uh, survey that we did. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is not all positive, but still interesting <laughs> Yeah. Is that 52% after 24 to 72 hours after they submitted a contact on Zillow were unable to connect with a builder. Get so when we think town. about that and we know that 60% are wanting to go to a home builder sales center, they're saying that that's an important part of the process. It makes me sad when I see a number like that, that we're not getting back to people quick enough to really be an influence in them considering new construction. Yeah. And listen, this is, I'm going to talk for you again, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. That experience that you're just describing, if someone goes on Zillow, requests a house or information on a home from a builder, 
and does not make a connection, even if that connection happens a week or two from now, which is still most of the time doesn't happen, that is a bad customer experience reflective on Zillow, which is right. That's that's not a good thing to have your own customers having a bad experience. Exactly. And so don't be surprised when Zillow creates products. And I'm just putting myself in your place. If that was my risk of my consumers might stop asking for information about homes if no one's responding, they may only use Zillow as a research tool and nothing more. I'm going to try to find a way to fix that. Exactly. And we, we want to be able to help. Ultimately, it's about helping the builder connect with the consumer faster. So we've started to mm-hmm. think about this already with our builder concierge program, where we will help the builder make that first contact and then pass it off. And my favorite part about that program is the instant text message. Yep. Uh, I don't talk about this publicly too much, but I use the premier agent concierge service for the house that I'm standing in right now as we're talking. And the one part of that experience that was kind of strange was when my wife submitted the information on the home, she got a call from New York City, even though the home was in Columbus and we were living in Pittsburgh at the time. And so she didn't answer it because she didn't know who it was. And so this just goes back. It's interesting to me that communication nuances of different types of communication. So now that initial response as a text message saying, hi, this is Zillow responding to your request. Would you like to talk to someone essentially? I think that's super smart and something that builders can learn from too. It's about getting that instantaneous connection. If a customer is raising their hand that they want to learn more, we want to get back to them. Today's consumer, they're shopping on amazon.com and they're getting their, you know, whatever they ordered as quick as possible, they're expecting the same of a home shopping experience. Yep. And I just think knowing that no one wants to answer the phone from a number they don't recognize, that initial text introducing yourself is super smart, super smart part of that program. And again, this is all about helping that builder connect more effectively with the consumer that's raising their hand to learn more. We don't want to leave anybody Uh on the table. And what's interesting also about this data is that of those people that actually are able to connect with the builder and end up going on a tour at the sales center, 89% say it was a positive experience. So those are the people that are going to continue down the path of considering new construction. And it makes me laugh, again, only since I was a builder for so long. The other percentage that didn't have a positive experience (laughs) Probably didn't have so because they showed up to a sales office where the agent was out and the door was locked. Sure. And so again, that I just can't tell you how many times before at Heartland, we took our office hours Monday through Friday off of the website and pushed everyone to an online sales representative who could schedule the appointment. We got at least three or four of those a week of people. I'm sitting outside of your model home. It's supposed to be open. Where is the sales rep? And a lot of times they were out meeting with a realtor, they were going to lunch, they were showing home sites, they were, you know, they were around, but they weren't there. And that's just a bad first impression, a bad way to start that experience. So I, again, we can't prove that that's why, but I'm sure a good percentage of it was we showed up and there just was nobody around. Yeah. Major bummer. <laughs> yeah. Major bummer. I want to talk, given the current state of the market and concerns over interest rates and all that, a little bit about the stats around buyers and finances too. Sure. Um, this is you know B4 on the graph here, if those of you following along at home, which shows that 55% of new home shoppers are not concerned about qualifying for a mortgage. And I, that combined with the fact that 52% plan to put 20% down or more 
kind of makes me feel a lot better about interest rates inching up over time. I mean, they're already at historically low levels still, but this widespread panic that we as builders feel, we better not translate that to our buyers when they walk in the door. Exactly. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that in our research, we found that two thirds of new construction buyers are age 39 and older. So they Uh are also, because of that, three and four are repeat buyers. So these are folks that have been through the home process in the past, and they are likely selling a home to be able to finance the new construction home that they're considering. Yep. Yeah. 45% uses money from the sale of a home to make that purchase. And so that better not be a part of the experience you're leaving to chance. Uh, I mean, as a marketer, it's okay to solve problems not directly related to your product, but that help make that purchase overall easier, even though it's not necessarily your job to help them get a mortgage or to help them sell their existing home. If the majority of your buyers have homes to sell, it's something you better be thinking about. Um, Okay, a couple more quick ones before we run out of time. Uh, 4.9 months was the average you found for new home shoppers looking for a house. That's that's still a long time. I mean, everyone's talking about it's it's faster, it's faster, it's faster than it ever has been. Still, still, that's a long time to have an opportunity to be yes. in front of them. And I think when you're thinking about that, a lot of those shoppers are starting their search, looking at resale and new construction simultaneously. And then there's a part of their home shopping journey where they pivot and they decide new construction is right for me or this isn't something that is right for me. And that happens, you know, midway Mm -hmm. to further down the process. But that still is a long time. And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that this is the biggest purchase decision that someone's going to make in their life. And they're not going to do it with haste. They're going to take their time. They're going to really think about it. And anything that you can do to help make that a seamless process and provide them with tools and support will convince them more and more that new construction is right for them. And I think I think they are willing, obviously, by the data to take their time in the shopping phase. But what's interesting is one of the things you found is that you know timing of when the home is going to be available that they want is still a big uh, hurdle. And so they're patient while they're shopping. And then like all human beings, once we decide we want to buy, we want it now. Exactly. And so that's, that's another challenge and to overcome. And that's where communication is key. So being open and honest with prospective buyers about the timeline is huge. That's where the process can break down for them with new construction. And that's what we heard in some of those dear builder videos was that it was hard to get in touch or there was competing timelines. And that was a frustrating part of the process for some people that were buying new construction or considering it. Yeah, it's one thing to put up with some pain that's going to go over the course of, you know, a week or two, right? Like the the pain of getting all the closing documents and and the loan straightened up and everything ready for closing, that's painful, but it's it's relatively compressed over a period of time. If you're already having bumps in the road and then you are expecting a six-month experience back and forth with this builder during the construction of the home, I mean, that is the stuff that makes people get divorced or, you know, it's just, there's so many terrible experiences and stories because generally speaking, builders only worry about what what do I have to do to get them to buy? And then what do I have to get them to close? And we're ignoring every other part of it, the referrals afterwards and the experience and the fact that they're part of your family, the understanding of of that uh, frustration and angst during the construction process. We just, we don't give it enough attention. Well, and builders that do this well recognize that their previous home buyers are their assets. These are the people to market 
this is who's going to be the friend, the relative, the neighbor that recommends you to a potential buyer, it's so critically important to not drop the ball once the contract is signed. Or just when they come to visit the sales office, like you're saying, if they're having a relatively positive experience, even if they don't buy from you, if a friend, family member, coworker, right? Well, you know what? I didn't buy a home at Happy Acres, but you should definitely go see those guys because if that's what's right for you, they're going to take great care of you. Um, Exactly. And it's such a, a personal, it's a personal journey. So people want their handheld and they want to feel important and taken care of. Which is why so many people still use real estate agents. And that's also an opportunity though, for if the online sales team and that early connection and instant connection is good and the communication is positive, sometimes what we see a lot is that builders can lower their co-op rate by having a better relationship from the beginning when they when that first contact is made. Sometimes they don't they feel like you are that person holding their hand versus needing an outside agent. And that can save you a ton of money, uh, of course. And we want agents to be involved, not trying to cut them out, but that is an opportunity. Um, one other one, just because of the timing again of the market and how people are feeling a little bit right now. It was fascinating to me that going back to that list of why people choose new construction, uh, 12% said it was because they would get a cash discount or incentive <laughs> on the home. And 10% said free upgrades. So it just, it, it makes me, I mean, that's that's not a overwhelmingly compelling reason. It is, it is way down at the bottom of the list of, of reasons that people choose it. And yet that is still our initial gut reaction or the one that's handed to us by ownership or um, operations to just say, okay, well, we're just going to lower the price by a little bit or, or a lot. And that should sell the home. Not if some of these other boxes aren't checked, sounds like. Exactly. And it's also that the warranty, the discounts, the upgrades, all the amenities, while really good information to share, it can also be overwhelming to that consumer. So Mm -hmm. making sure that what you're sharing is valuable information and that they are understanding it and not downsizing the stuff that's really important, which is more about that everything is new, that they see the quality and longevity of your work, that it's a positive experience and a communication timeline. That stuff will outweigh the warranty every time. (laughs) Yep. And it's okay if you disagree with me. And if you do, you should email me at kevinadoyukavert.com. It will not, you will not be the first person who has listened to an episode and said, I fundamentally disagree with XYZ. Um, one person thought that I was coddling salespeople maybe too much. But in this case, I really feel like if you are going to have a discount or an incentive, the way that you present that is so, so important. I would rather just show the new price as the price than a was is pricing. Everyone or some people out there are going to say, well, that's what the buyers expect in certain market conditions. You got to show the discount. You got to show the incentive. And I just think that that does more harm to your salespeople and to the consumer who, again, is already worried about is the value of this home going to hold? You're already showing that it hasn't. And it seems like a bad initial step to take. And from the sales rep's perspective, they think like all of my homes, not just the one that was discounted, may be overvalued. If if this house should get thirty thousand off, and it's a floor plan that I can build right down the street, why doesn't that one get thirty thousand off? And and I've definitely interacted with home building companies who have had to kind of reset the entire salesperson's psychology on the price that we we put out there is fair, and it may adjust, but we're not going to run fire sales or big incentives as a public promotion. So I don't expect you to have a thought on that, Kristen. Uh, necessarily, but any, anything that you would have to add to that? I don't have a specific data point, but I do think 
it is interesting to look at the reasons for purchasing new construction. I think that that's data that can shed light for some marketers as they're thinking through all of those things that you just mentioned. Yeah. And lastly, just to close up that thought, and then we'll we'll start wrapping up. The analogy that I use is a, you know, gap or banana republic. You know, the the fall shirts go on sale once the season is over. And we all say, well, of course they do, because now I'd have to buy it and hold on to it for another year. The fashion may change. There's so many um, drawbacks to buying an article of clothing potentially that's no longer in season. But if you're deeply discounting a floor plan that you can still build again tomorrow, right? The the, the house itself outside of the, the specific one built on the land is no longer out of style. It's still available and you're, you don't want to penalize, again, in the mind of consumer, that particular floor plan as being less valuable. The only approach that I felt comfortable using was what we called a developer discount, even though it came from the builder, we used the terminology developer discount. And it was on home sites in phases that were mostly sold out. So it had 50 home sites in phase one, there's still two remaining. And now we've moved on to phase two. That's kind of like the next uh, season coming in and the clothing analogy. So we would put a small discount or incentive, but we would attach it to the home site because that was what was left in, in the initial phase. And the new and perhaps better lots that were now available in phase two, we had to find a way to, to make one more desirable. But other than that, we really, all through 2008, 2009, 2010, we did not do discounts and incentives as a public promotion to sell homes. All right. Okay. Sorry. Thanks for letting me get that out. Anything else that we haven't talked about, Kristen, that you want to make sure we highlight? Obviously, again, everyone go to, to now.dukeconvert.com slash Zillow and download the report for yourself and look through it, print it out, give it to your boss. But anything else that you want to make sure we highlight, Kristen? Overall, just that these insights are really meant to help builders better market to their customers and would love to hear people's thoughts, feedback that informs our next round of research that we will do. Awesome. Yeah. Get in touch with them directly. Let us know. We'll pass it along. But how far in advance do you have to start working on these things? Like for, for the 2019 report. I had a conversation today about starting to get it on everyone's radar, believe it or not. Um, and I want to keep doing it earlier and earlier because that makes the research stronger and stronger. So we will start yeah. talking about it soon. All right. Well, hurry up and get your <laughs> get your suggestions and ideas of what you want to know in before it's underway. Kristen, thanks so much for taking the time on a cloudy <laughs> Seattle afternoon on Friday to talk to us about all this. Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, actually, do you have time for one last kind of just anecdotal question or you got to run? Y yeah. Yeah. How long have you been in marketing and what drew you to come work at Zillow? I'm just curious as a from, from one marketer to another, you know, why did you choose this field and, and what took you to Zillow? Excellent question, Kevin. It doesn't have to be profound yeah. either. It can just be like, um, I want to live in Seattle. Qu so. The quickest, quickest background possible. I spent a little over eight and a half years in PR and communications on the agency side and was incredibly passionate about the broader marketing org and wanted to be able to not just own one channel. So I transitioned from PR and communications into marketing. And what drove me to Zillow was it was the opportunity to build a brand new marketplace from the ground up. So when I joined the company three and a half years ago, we were just getting started with what does a more robust uh, new construction marketing program look like? Yeah, that's I mean, that's a fun challenge. No doubt about it. You got uh, a lot of resources to work with, but also 
you know, a pretty unique audience. And us builders are are not always the. We can be a little bit hard to win over. You guys are pretty nice. You know? Yeah, no, we are, but we're we're a little skeptical. We're a little bit unsure. It's like a like a timid you know dog at times. So it's I know it's a challenge too. Certainly, and it's I've been up for the challenge, and it's been so interesting getting to know this industry. It's not like the other real estate industries that we have here at Zillow. And I get to be the advocate for this audience at the company. Oh, that, that is great and, that's and what, interesting to hear you say that. That's what gets me up in the morning. I get up in the morning to push forward with research that's going to make a difference, marketing that's going to make a difference, and continue to get to know this industry. It's so interesting to hear you say that because every time I interact with anyone who wants to get to know more about this industry or has just recently been hired into this industry... And I start to explain to them that it is different. They're always, you know, well, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a little bit different. And it's not. I mean, like you're saying that even compared to the other uh, marketplaces at Zillow, it's very different. Compared to all other industries, it's really different. Absolutely. And what has been, (laughs) it it really, it really is. I was working before I transitioned to Zillow. I was working. Starbucks was a primary client of mine. I was launching mobile order pay. And then prior to that, I was working on Microsoft Bing. I mean, very different from working and transitioning to marketing for a real estate company and then working on an emerging marketplace for the company. So a startup within a big company. Yeah. Very cool. All right. That's officially it. Thanks again. This was fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. 